Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. We're Aminatu. And Anne. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. We talk about current events. We talk we have- about current events, friendship, uh, Beyonce, and politics. Pretty much in that order. Um, and we have an agenda. We have we have sort of an agenda that we used to set, or maybe we still do set for our personal check-in calls, and we've just like made it the agenda for this podcast, save for a few deletions for to preserve our privacy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, privacy is very important to us. It wouldn't appear that way, but it is. Um, yeah, in this era of like high Snowden bullshit, it's very important. Are you one of those people who has a piece of tape over the camera on your laptop? Uh, 100%. I donate to the uh, EFF, Anne, of course. I don't have one, but I just relish being like extra gross in front of it. <laughs> I mean, I have it mostly because I don't want any of my friends to see me doing dumb shit. Not like if the NSA wants to hack into this computer, God bless. Right. Godspeed. So we are like extra, well, not extra long distance, slightly extra long distance this time because I'm in London and you are in New York. Yeah. How's London going? Let me tell you, it is gray. Um, I know I should I have I heard expected... you guys were having a, like a, I don't know, like a heat wave. I think it was like 71 degrees. What's going on? It was sunny for like two days in a row, but that was kind of an aberration. But here's what I don't understand. It's like, there is not, I feel like if I lived here permanently, I would be obsessed with things that made me feel like it was sunny and warm. So all these like ca- cafes have sandwich boards outside that say, come in, it's sunny inside. And it's like, <laughs> uh, actually you're playing Radiohead and your Wi-Fi doesn't work. That is not my definition of sunny inside. Oh my God. Um, um, Wi-Fi also doesn't work in Brooklyn. I don't know what to tell you. I keep saying this to people and I feel that somebody's going to get mad at me, but it's true. I was like, I have lived in Sudan and we had better Wi-Fi than we have in like South Brooklyn. I don't understand. When I say the internet is bad here, I mean it's not as bad as Brooklyn. Nothing is worse than Wi-Fi in Brooklyn. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. I've, Ugh, been, I've, I've been around the world and nothing is worse than the <laughs> Wi-Fi in Brooklyn. <laughs> it just does not work. We should get you a uh, sat phone or something. <laughs> I'm just, Yeah, I've just like given up. I don't know what's going on in the world anymore because there is just bad Wi-Fi. Anyway, um, 
Well, I have a little bit of news. I'm moving to San Francisco, Anne. I, okay, I confess, I learned this before we recorded this podcast. However, <laughs> I will express to you in person again my, like, both how proud I am of you because you're moving for an incredible new job, but also my shock because I never thought you would be on the West Coast with me. You know, so here are my feelings about this. I am obviously, like, excited about my new job. I am very trepidatious about my new location. San Francisco, it, I'm I'm a little I'm a little weirded out about it. One, you know, who knows? Maybe I won't even move because we can't afford to live there. Hello, like the rent is stupid. The rent is too damn high. The rent is too <laughs> damn high. Like that's not even funny to me because I'm like in the middle of house hunting right now. Uh, but think of all the new the apps that you get to use that are only available in San Francisco. There's, there's like a whole subcategory of apps that are like only location specific applications. Totally. That's like like we've launched in San Francisco and are planning to launch in like two more cities as soon as we get eight more rounds of funding. You can you get I, to try all those apps. You know, and also I think I guess, like, since we both lived in D.C., this is the first time that I'll live in a, like, city where I work in the dominant industry again. And that has me a little worried. It's tough. This is why it's tough for me to visit New York. Dominant industry problems. No one ever talks about that. Oh, my God. I think you have way more problems in New York than dominant industry. But let's, like, we'll we'll address that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm I'm excited. I don't want to sound like a baby about it. I'm obviously, like, super excited. But also, I'm sad about leaving New York. Like, Brooklyn is my spiritual home. Uh, Anytime I told anybody that I was leaving because I got this, like, fancy new job, instead of saying, hey, congratulations, Amina, well done, people were like, no, don't move. The West Coast is awful. Well, and now you're getting to the root of my New York problems. Everything's all about you all the time. This is why why you people are my people. Thank you. Mm. Like, make it about yourself. (laughs) Don't make it about me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's also, I feel like it's going to affect our friendship to be in the same time zone because you are like, you stay up three hours later than I do. So our friendship is a natural like East West Coast fit. But like when we're both on the West Coast, I'm going to have to stay up later. It's definitely going to be interesting. Um, What is, what is, Um, oh yeah, it's like that gif where like Snooki and Jaywa were like, it's going to be an interesting summer. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how I feel. Also, like, we are, like, just barely close enough that I can decide to come see you on a whim and drive my dented sedan six hours to the north and actually see you. That's very exciting. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be so fun. I'm, you know, I'm excited for that. Also, you know, I'm kind of my best person when the weather is warm and it's nice. So who knows? Maybe I'll become one of those, like, smug Californians. I have no clue. Ooh, good callback to the pilot episode. (laughs) Listen, <laughs> Smart Californians is a theme in my life. I know. But this is good. It's like summer camp. You're going to learn some things about yourself. You're going to meet some new friends, you know, <laughs> learn yeah. some new skills. <laughs> I'm so scared about making work friends, too. I generally, my rule is to not make work friends because, you know, I have a lot of other friends and work friends are a little complicated. But also, I guess I'm just, I've just always usually been like managing over a ton of people and so I don't want to deal with that but this is no longer true and also I'm like I work with smart people maybe I'll make friends this time maybe I won't be a weirdo are you allowed to say what your job is I feel like we're like making it very mysterious by not talking about it yeah so I'm going to be an astronaut at SpaceX (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not tampons in space 
No, I'm just working a dumb marketing job at a big uh, tech place. <laughs> that's how mysterious will make my job. You can email me for details. Oh my god, that's totally how like people like assholes who who went to Harvard and are like, I went to a small private liberal arts college in Cambridge, like saying I'm working at a large <laughs> tech company in San Francisco. Is it's it just that there's a lot of backlash against techies, and I don't want to get stoned. I won't lie. I'm feeling like very pre-protective of you, like going to San Francisco to to join the the like many many like much maligned tech worker tech working ranks. Like I'm I'm like I don't know, very protective of your reputation. I know, you know, I feel I feel that way too. But also, I'm like this is everything Martin Luther King died for. If somebody makes me feel shitty about this i will literally take it to the supreme court like you cannot hate crime me because i work in tech that's ludicrous that's true getting yours that's true. cashing uh, in <laughs> yeah cashing in let's let's see maybe we'll, we'll buy we can finally buy our lady compound depending on your rent that is <laughs> after we've sorted out how many pennies we have from rent We'll buy our lady compound. Oh, man. So speaking of lady compounds, when we first started talking about doing this podcast, we wanted to do a segment. And we briefly considered doing a whole podcast called Appreach, Just Things We Appreach. I know. Uh, the positive days in our lives. It's good. Stay in posse. But um, one, we, one from like the past week is that we are long, both long-term proponents of the caftan, the muumuu. It goes by many names, all of them like wonderful um for the for a long flowing garment you wear around the house or outside the house that just sort of lets lets it all be free in the breeze one of my sort of co-workers at the cut at new york magazine wrote this amazing appreciation of the caftan and how to get your body caftan ready for summer that is just the most appreciate thing of the of, of what has been a semi-difficult week of news <laughs> i know right which is you know, we plan our entire lives around wearing caftans, so obviously we're the core target of that, that whole article. But I just, like, I love that. I just love that there are women in, I guess, like, the Western world who wear caftans, because caftans are my cultural heritage, and there was never anything, like, newsworthy about wearing them. And I won't lie, when I moved, I was a little hesitant to wear them in the beginning, because people were like, what a weirdo, what, you know, like, what is this box that you're wearing? Like, sack dress. And then now they're everywhere. Thank you. Yeah, this is a clear issue of just like white people were wrong for like centuries about caftans. <laughs> like, and people were wrong about a lot of things, but the caftan thing is particularly egregious. I mean, because it would advantage like, you know, centuries of white people to let it all hang out under a flowing garment. <laughs> and, and, and like, it's like, it's like the most self-interested thing, which normally white people are all about. And <laughs> how many caftans yet- do you own, Anne? Oh my god, I own so many. When I was trying to pack for the desert, we do an annual trip to the desert every winter with a bunch of ladies um, where caftan wearing is not mandatory but encouraged. And uh, our my friend Lara was at my house watching me pack and I just kept finding like hidden caches of caftans like in corners of my closet and like under the bed and like stuffed in the back of drawers. Oh man, actually, on the street in London a few weeks ago, I passed a woman wearing a Frida Kahlo caftan. Like, Stop like it was it. like a full size like Frida Kahlo self portrait on the caftan, and the back was already glorious. And then I turned around to kind of like you know like do like the lady outfit checkout, like give her the eye, and I saw it was a Kahlo portrait, and I like almost 
was muerto in the park that's right there. perfect yeah um, so good every once in a while though you get a caftan that you know a white lady made because it's so preposterous tell me like, like how, how what's the tell the tell is like pearls on them i'm like i don't understand the bejeweling in like dumb places of caftans like i have this one that it has jewels like strategically where your vagina is no and why do you have that it's because it's so soft <laughs> you know i try to not wear it outside of the house i try to not wear it around anytime anybody that you know i want to get sexy with but i will not lie when it's just me and myself that caption is embarrassing as fuck but it's so comfortable i mean i think this brings us to a conversation about reparations (laughs) (laughs) oh my god did you read that did you read tanahasi coates's reparations article Obviously, the entire internet read Tanahasi's cover story. Well, you know, it's debatable that the entire internet read it because we're also going to talk about faking cultural literacy later. But right. <laughs> how many how many words do you think most of the internet made it into? I actually don't know how long the the piece was like in total. Um, but... I believe it was sixteen thousand words. Uh huh. Um, and average uh, reader went how deep? Do you think? I think. You know, like one page, and then they were like, oh my god, this is so tiring. I read it and felt like I wanted to give it to baby Anne. Like, I wanted to, like, like tuck it in all of my history textbooks from when I was a kid. Because I feel like it's sort of like, um, yeah, like, I, I had read everything in that article elsewhere, just, like, never synthesized in quite that way, which is a great, a sign of a great piece of journalism, obviously. But I was just like, yeah, can we, that's what a history textbook is supposed to do, like, synthesize all of this stuff and give you a shorthand for understanding, like, the way the modern world is. And I just no, wanted I to, like, that car- carpet Sorry, bomb elementary schools with it. <laughs> No, right? I think that you make this really interesting point. There's this woman historian that I follow on Twitter who, um, I won't name her here because LOL subtweets. She was kind of a little frustrated that she was like, ugh, like, why is Ta-Nehisi Coates making this point that if you are a semi-educated person, you should already know and everybody is like rah-rah excited about it. And I think that that's like a real tragedy, right? That none of this is new and none of it is super, none of it is like super shocking and yet most people are just not aware of the history of slavery the history of jim crow and redlining and any of that stuff which just blows my mind like where the fuck have you been or people might say i'm familiar with all of these things obviously i know all of these things happened but like the idea that they might have had a cumulative effect has like seemed to escape people and like that's the real power of this of this essay I was wondering because, you know, you obviously didn't go through the totally inadequate, fucked up American history lessons that I went through in like an American <laughs> classroom, how much of this was actually new to you or how much of it was like, oh yeah, duh. Um, so I didn't learn any of the stuff in high school because duh, I went to French school and the only thing you learn about America in French school like starts at World War One probs. Oh, yeah, and you learn that they, like, stole Louisiana from us. You know, it's, like, (laughs) tragedy. That's, like, the big tragedy of French history. Do the French really want Louisiana, though? Like, now? Let's be real. The French don't know anything. Um, (laughs) I'm gonna go on, on the record, just facts. Yeah, you know, it's, like, you don't really learn a lot about America. We do a lot of American geography, weirdly, in the 20th century, and then it's, like, World War I and II, and America is huge. Also... 
like the Kennedy chapter is just too long. I'm like, I don't understand why we were studying this for so long. That's true of American textbooks as well. Like, I know, but in the French context, it makes no sense. It makes like absolutely no sense. I just assumed because it was most American textbooks were like written in the late 60s, published in the 70s, and I was still reading them when I was a kid, like in the late 80s and 90s. You know, like it's like, it's like, oh yeah, Kennedy seemed really important at the time you were writing this, which was like when my parents were children. Yeah, no, right. Totally. So I didn't learn, I didn't know anything about US history or definitely slavery or a lot of the civil rights movement until I got to college. And um, I think we had like US history requirements and I didn't have any of them because I went to an international school. So I had to learn. And, um, you know, the people were shocked. Like I was shocked. Mostly, Were you like, I can't believe I've immigrated to this country? (laughs) You know, I'm I'm not going to say that because I think my family was living in Belgium right before I moved to the U.S. And America, for all of its faults, is the best country you can live in if you are a black person. Black people, believe me, it is terrible out there. Bold statement. Bold statement. No, it's so true. You know, like I've told you this, like my, you know, the my my family is not super psyched that I live here because they're like, oh, like, when are you coming home? Like home being Europe, like writ large. They just like don't understand that I can't handle it anymore. Like living in Europe is a thing that's it's very cute and it's quaint for a little bit. But I don't think that like long term, it's something that I could do for many, many, many reasons. Right. Um, yeah, you know, it's like America, it's awful, but it's also maybe the only country that went through a civil rights movement. So it's like, hi, we're on the other side of that. In Paris, like people say awful things to me on the street still. And it's like, hello, it's like 21st century. Like too real to ask what? I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I have like a good like recent example at hand. Oh, no. So in Brussels, where my family lives, for example, like getting on the bus in my neighborhood that is predominantly Dutch is like a big hassle. It's like if I'm the only person at the bus stop, like I would say eight out of ten times the bus doesn't stop. And I'm just like, really? Like, really? Who cares? But it's also like this really complicated thing, right? Because that's because I present as an African person if I speak French. But if I speak English, they assume that I'm American. And like French-speaking people, at least, are obsessed with African-Americans. Like, it's so weird. It's really? Like, oh, you, yes, you are like this evolved kind of black person as opposed to like an African person. I would say that a little bit is true of the reverse here. Wow. I mean, also, I just feel like I am more aware of racial politics, like being in Europe, because it's just different than what the racial politics I've grown up around. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just sort of like, you know, and I wonder how much of that is like, oh, this is like, it's oh, I'm sick of dealing with that set of problems. Like, here's a different, like, shitty situation that's kind of similar, but, like, is not frustrating in exactly the same ways. Like, sometimes it's like, I don't know, you have more energy to, like, deal with the same problem but manifested differently. Yeah, it's it's just, it's strange. Um, so our, somebody else that we know, Gene Demby, wrote that thing at NPR that I thought was really funny. Um, that was how to tell if someone you know actually read Tomasi's Oh my god, essay. I missed this. Give me the Oh quiz. my god, it was so good. He was like, number one, they talk a lot about slavery. <laughs> number two, <laughs> they talk a lot about the logistics of reparations. And number three, they talk about affirmative action or hashtag welfare. And you're like, I see you. You did not read this. I see you. 
of New Republic people. You did right. not read this. You missed that whole welfare was created for white people thing. <laughs> um, you know, to quote our friend Kanye, you know white people. You know white people get money, don't spend it. Or maybe they get money by business. Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me. I mean, not to. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com. Offer code girlfriend for $25 off. I'd rather buy 80 gold chains and go ignorant. I know Spike Lee gon' kill me, but let me finish. Blame it on a pigment. We live in no limits. Them gold masterpiece and was just a figment. I mean, speaking of Kanye. And speaking of France. Speaking of Kanye and France. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the wedding? Is this what you want to talk about? I mean, I don't really want to talk about it. The only thing I wanted to bring up about the Kimye wedding is, like, how old person the choice of Florence seemed. Like, I feel like if you asked, like, my parents and their friends, like, what would be a really romantic wedding destination? Or, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, they, they would they would sort of, like, choose similar locations <laughs> to Kim and Gagne. I mean... Listen, I can't hate on it because I can't afford a $2.5 million wedding in a chateau. Like, you know, can't shit on that. Yeah. But also, I can't think afford it yet. Me- <laughs> can't afford it yet. <laughs> when I live in San Francisco, after I've made rent at my astronaut job, maybe I can afford this. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought I thought the whole thing was like really funny and over the top. Personally, I enjoyed this wedding experience better than Kim's first wedding. No offense, Kim's first husband. Well, much offense. But I paid you know, even less attention to that wedding. I just I just think that it's hilarious that celebrities get married just like us. You know, that like by trolling all of their friends' Instagrams, I was able to recreate the whole thing for myself. Like I think that is hilarious. What was I their hashtag? The- Did they have a hashtag? I don't think they had a hashtag. <laughs> Kimye forever. Kimye forever. Yep. Um You know, I love that they have a photo booth. I love how, like, weirdly traditional the whole thing is. I would give an arm and a leg to hear, like, Kanye's, like, wedding toast. Oh, my God, the 20-minute wedding toast? Yeah, I'm hoping that, like, Chrissy Teigen or somebody, like, definitely taped it and it's going to leak one day. Like, there's nothing I want more than that. Um, I hope somebody, I'm going to let you finish, Tim. (laughs) Uh, I just, you know, I just also, you know, I wonder, like, who Kanye's friends are, right? Like, I'm just, like... Who, like, who is on his side besides, like, Big Sean and, like, you know, I don't know, like, designers? It just makes me feel sad. And I realize that maybe part of why he's so into the Kardashians is because they're a family. 
It is true. I mean, I'm trying to think about... This is not my area of expertise. Like, I've never been good at, like, like beef or the opposite of beef. <laughs> like, <laughs> I learned the other day on the internet that the plural of beef is beeves. And I no was way. so not into that. That's disgusting, right? Beeves? At, like, beeves and butthead? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's, like, some, like, weird British thing. I, I don't agree. Ask oh, beeves. Oh, my God. I need that to figure out which rappers are feuding. Stop it. <laughs> Um, you are so, so, so ridiculous. Wait, are you, one of those people, are you one of those people that just doesn't like the Kardashians because you just don't like them or like, no, what? I actually just, I mean, I'm just not very interested in the show. I mean, I guess I'm kind of interested. This is going to sound like the most, the douchiest thing ever. I'm kind of like intellectually interested in the Kardashians, like as like a concept. Like, and stop. No, like, like the idea that, yeah, right. This idea that they're a pack. It's like, it's like, there's like a bunch of them. It's not, um, it's not just like one, I guess Snooki and JWoww were kind of a pack. You know? No, but you know, like these people are like a real pack, right? Like I had this realization last week after watching Mad Men, LOL. I don't know if you're watching this season of Mad Men, but anyway, Peggy and Don and the one with the forehead, oh, Pete, are all sitting around going, does the real American family still exist? Do people sit around and like hang out in our family? You know, and that's like 1969 and they have anxiety about it. And all I'm thinking is, yes, that family still exists, and they're called the Kardashian-Jenner clan. Like, they're the only family. They're the only family that's left. Like, my favorite thing about them is how they perpetually support and shout each other out over social media. And I had the realization that that's the, like, our generations, you know, like, the Waltons calling each other Mm -hmm. goodnight. And that's... That's, like, so important to me. (laughs) Everybody that knows me is like, Amina, you're a crazy person for how much you like the Kardashians. I mean, Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, but I also, I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about this idea of, like, being intellectually into the Kardashians. And I was like, oh, my God, you, like, fake cultural, like, pop culture. Stop. I do. Well, so I will actually not fake it. I'm like, I go into, like, I go into the dark places. See, okay, listen, I go into the dark places with some things, but I would, I never said, like, I know everything that's happening with the Kardashians. Okay, but you're, like, top line level know what's happening. Avi, you know, because you're, like, in my family, so I have to tell you. Right. I to share the shit with people. I know what I learn from you and what I hear on the read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, right now I'm really worried about Rob Kardashian because he did not go to the wedding and I'm, you know, I'm like, Rob. Like, what's going on? But, and here's the thing I know from listening to the read, people were, the fam was tweeting their defense of his, like, I don't want to lose weight. And that just supports totally. your Kardashian family support theory. They are. They're, like, the most supportive family you can be a part of. And that's why I'm excited that Connie is in that family, because he needs a lot of support. Okay, back up. I want to address this allegation that I was faking cultural literacy. <laughs> <laughs> thought i was gonna let that slide okay tell me Anne. tell me Uh, how you really feel this is a new york times essay was it in the magazine i don't i don't know um you know uh, i would say that it was in the magazine but i didn't read it so i would fake reading it jk i read it on the internet it's it's in the magazine okay it felt like magazine but i read it on the internet so that was just a guess but basically i think it's sunday review probably it sounds like sunday review oh yeah the this essay argues that if you say for example oh yeah that sounds familiar or like uh i think i know who like rob kardashian is but i can't 
place it. <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about and haven't read the article. Or when you start talking about affirmative action, you haven't actually read ta cover story about reparations. We all just fake it with everything and read a couple of tweets and pretend that we've read the whole article. This is what this essay says. Um, I do it sometimes. But, but, you know, I don't think I was doing it with the Kardashians. I wasn't like, <laughs> let me tell you about the Kardashians. <laughs> I mean... So here's my, I guess, you know, like I read that thing and I was not shocked, right? It's one, the way that you can always tell people who are faking cultural literacy is that it's like the race to be the first to tweet something. I'm like, yes, you are tweeting things that you have not read. Like, that's hilarious. It's hilarious for me because a lot of those people for me are like journalists that I follow. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to read all of this to make sure that you agree with it? (laughs) But retweets are not endorsements don't you read Re- <laughs> you know but you know but we will judge you by your retweets so but i think that's what everyone is aware of like oh you'll judge me by my retweets because like and look at this well curated collection yeah you know i get this yeah the whole article was funny to me because i i am very aware of the things that i don't know about and i try i try to not wade into those like internet waters mostly because they're boring to me right it's like policy or hedge funds i'm like i'm almost 30 i've been reading the hedge funds wikipedia for like years i still don't know what the fuck it is like i don't get it it's a scam as far as i'm concerned i don't know the difference between like hedge funds and like herbalife i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's true you know so i like follow smart people to tell me about that but I think that the, this article is also interesting, you know, in the context of explainer journalism, because so many people were mad at um, explainer internet uh, king voxnews.com. Is it Vox News or just Vox? When they I think it's that Vox.com. Whole... I think they shelled yeah. out the big bucks for that URL. For Vox News. Um, I'm just going to call it Vox News. Because um, <laughs> Vox just sounds like a church name, you know? It's like, there's like 10 churches named Vox. So. Really? This yeah. is like an evangelical thing that I don't totally understand. Latin, yeah. please. That shit is... <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, it's like they had that article that was like, who is Solange in the, you know, Beyonce Solange right. elevator, Benghazi gate. Sorry. And half of the Internet was upset at them. They were like, oh, how do you not know who Solange is? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, no, the target audience of that website absolutely does not know who Solange also, is. Also, only alts are truly familiar with the Solange catalog. No, totally. I'm like, Solange has moved, what, like 5,000 albums in her entire career? Right, like, right. You don't know who she is. That's cool. You know, so like for me, mostly, I love it when people fake like pop culture or cultural literacy. I don't care if you don't know, you know, like the intricacies of, you know, like new gun regulations. But, you know, I guess I guess I'm not as pretentious as I want to be. (laughs) I mean, but no, no, no. I think this also has to do with the fact that you just like consume a lot. (laughs) Like you like, like, like I, I feel like media and culture, like, like when we first became friends, I was like, there's no way she's actually reading and watching Did and like this really knowledgeable about everything that? in the back of my mind i had some doubts <gasps> i know i'm sorry that i'm confessing my sins deep. now but wow, the thing wow. is i think i don't know what it is do you read faster do you sleep less you're right you don't fake it but i also just i don't know how she does it <laughs> i don't know do you like maybe you just work harder than i do that's also <laughs> a distinct possibility 
I don't know, though. I mean, like, my work is technically to, like, read stuff on the internet. I guess I, I, I feel like I read a lot of internet, and and I always assume that if I've read something, you've read it and five related articles already. Yeah, you. it's because you work harder than I do. I, I'm going to chalk it up to that. When we met, I was working a job that I did not like, and we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's people like that that keep like my me in in business like if people weren't bored reading the internet in their cubicle like i would be out of a job no totally you know it's um <laughs> yeah we're all wasting about like 80 mm, percent of our workday just internet reading i mean god bless let it forever be be <laughs> thus <laughs> um but seriously i don't know i mean like okay how many hours a night do you sleep me um on a good night like maybe five okay like a good but night meaning a night problems. you get a lot of sleep we have sleep i have sleep issues remember we've talked about this i know but but i'm just saying it gives you a lot of time to read the internet <laughs> i, <laughs> I need like eight hours handicaps for reading the internet i love it um. <laughs> it is true the insomnia handicap like people who, who like if you're not faking cultural literacy, it's probably because you have problems sleeping. No, totally. You know, I've been reading a lot less, you know, since the end of Google Reader, R.I.P. Google Reader. R.I.P. It still hurts. It still it hurts. It hurts really bad. But I think that that's what made me conducive at, like, reading the things I wanted. You know, it's like you can curate your own internet experience. And that's become harder. My uh, internet reading experience being five hours ahead of like most people I know on the internet, or at least like a good portion of them in New York is so strange. Like the mornings are like, I I am handicapped from procrastinating. I can go to like Twitter as many times as I want. And there'll only be like two new tweets an hour until New York (laughs) is awake. Um, And you would think this has made me more productive, but it just makes me spend more time on Tumblr, which is more likely to be updated like through the night by people who are not at work. <laughs> and it's, all it does is like change my procrastination method. It doesn't like make me more focused. That's that's true. Man, how do you deal with like reading the internet when you live on the West Coast? Because this is a huge anxiety that I have is that now I'm three hours behind everyone and all of the news has happened. When you worked at... um that place that we shall not mention that fired everybody assholes you know like i went into work with you for a week and i was shocked at how cool and casual everybody was i'm like first of all you guys are already three hours behind by like 2 p.m eastern all of the news has happened what is happening here you have to develop a laid-back California attitude. I don't know how else to tell you. Also, do you remember, maybe it was that same visit, being at a cafe and nearly having a meltdown because there were two ladies in front of us who asked about every tea on the menu, and you were and like, I, I can't believe it. I remember it very well. Right. And i that's when I realized I'd gotten chill because I didn't even notice. And then I looked at you and I was like, why is she having this meltdown? Um but yeah, California <laughs> chill is real, and I actually think it is a coping mechanism, uh, if especially if you're a journalist, to make you be able to live your life three hours behind all of your bosses and everyone else who works in your industry. I don't know. I just wake up and the internet is like full and bursting with a bounty of links. But you wake up a little <laughs> earlier than most people. Let's be real, because you are afraid also of being a little like far. 
I know, but like even if I'm up at seven, it's still ten on the East Coast, and like you know what I mean. It's not like there's there's not like that you're really beating. Pe- there's no beating people on the West Coast. Like if I like you know I don't know to get file something first or tweet something first or other shit I don't care about. I guess I would have to do that by staying up late. There's no like wake up early and do it unless I'm getting up at like four a.m. and I'm not. Oh my god, you're right. I'm gonna move to California, and three weeks in, I'm gonna have a meltdown. Oh no. my god. You're going to recalibrate. I don't think I can ever recalibrate. This is who I am. I'm an intense person inside. I think that there is a mandatory chill that California makes. (laughs) And you can get there with extensive amounts of marijuana. You can get there by, like, realizing you can't be first on the internet. You can. There's a lot of ways to get there, you know. <laughs> but it's true. Everyone you know, has I guess path. mostly what I don't like is, like, the bullshit, like, we're chill, but really it's that you're lazy. Like, that's what I can't stand. But and I think a- that that's the vibe that L.A. gives me. So hopefully I can't, this I'm will like not be true in San head. Francisco. No, it's true. It's like all these people that can't pay attention at you because they're like, hey, I can't serve you tea because really I want to be an actor. That's my dream job. Oh my God, I mean, that like, is listen, such... You are I getting so speak. angry. I'm like <laughs> apoplectic <laughs> over here. You're, you're, you're getting I'm so like... angry. I'm pushing all your buttons on oh purpose my God. and I love it. I'm like whipped into a frenzy. My lower back is sweating. I'm like... <laughs> This I know. I wish we were unchill. in the same room because I can literally see like your shoulders, like just getting arched. Like my arms like, are crossed. In, like, my yeah. body language says "step off." Like your yeah, California you're, you're like about to peacock me. It's cool. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, you know what? Look, this is why we have this podcast. We're gonna do a California chill check in every episode, and we'll see where your chill levels at. It's just gonna be me in fetal position, like screaming, like take me back to New York. I'll be like, point to the emoji that expresses your feelings. <laughs> oh my god, I know I'm exactly make you a what emoji it is. It's crazy. <laughs> hey, did you see that question that we got from Natalia about why, um, I guess, like, when straight women call each other girlfriend? Yes. Yeah, so after we announced the, the name of this podcast, our friend Natalia, who lives in the Bay Area, right? No, Natalia lives in New York. Oh, she lives in I Dumbo. I was about to say. Uh, I don't know how to tell you this. She's a power lady. She lives in New York. Oh, my God. I cannot with you. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Just I'm like, I'm like holding my hand at the microphone saying stop. I'm sorry. If you did a survey of power ladies, <sighs> most of them live in New York. The other half of them live in San Francisco and then sprinkled in the rest of the country. Oh my God. I, I'm dropping <laughs> I'm this right now. I'm just saying this to make you angry. Power I know you are. Live I know anywhere. you are. Home is where the heart is. Home is where the Wi-Fi connects automatically. Exhaling. You're fine. <laughs> Um, anyway, our friend Natalia, who lives in New York, she's my friend on the internet, clearly, because I do not know where she lives, asked us to address the phenomenon of ladies who don't date ladies, which would describe the both of us, calling each other girlfriend. I guess I I didn't think too much about the, like, sexual identity politics of the name of this podcast, I confess. Did you have thoughts for her? I mean, I didn't really, I guess it's more about spelling, right? Because, like, People always say that's my girlfriend if it's two words, but if it's one word, it's, yeah, I guess it's girlfriend. Um, Yeah, talk about faking cultural literacy. Anything that's, like, smart about, like, gender, it's... I'm well, the sub part of her question was, and I, I wish we, we should maybe like find the tweet and actually read it, but the sub part of her question was like, and why is it totally fine, like 
you know, women don't have any problem blurring that line, but like you know, you'll never hear two straight men calling each other boyfriend. I guess I don't know the why, but all I know is that that's very comforting to me as a woman that it's like not threatening, at least in the context of other women to, you know, to identify with that kind of language. Right. Whereas my whole, you know, it's like when every time we watch Entourage, this is all we talk about, right? That the number one thing that they're afraid of is that somebody is going to say that they're gay. Like, that's the most threatening thing to like a bro dude. Right, whereas I'm very excited at the prospect of someone, like, thinking that we're, like, actually a couple. (laughs) I know, right? It's, uh, sometimes it makes me sad. I feel like it's a personal failure that I'm not more gay. I know, Um, me too. Me too. Yeah, you know. We can't all be perfect. We cannot all be perfect. It does, it makes me really sad. If I ever have children and they turn out straight, that will definitely be a personal failure. Oh my god, especially, I think about this a lot. If I ever had a male child, he would be at least half white, because I'm white. And then what if he's straight? Like, think about all the deprogramming that's required. Like, I, I know. I, I, if he's gay, that just makes it a lot easier. It also just makes him a lot better. Um, I know. Yeah, oh. this is, this conversation is veering into the too real. <laughs> <laughs> Also, the like prejudice against straight people too real. I hope we can. Oh my god! I have so much straight people prejudice. Are you kidding? We are awful. We are like terrible, terrible, terrible people. Self-loathing straight people. Tumblr. Com. Oh my god! Straight people are the worst. We make everything the worst. menstruation news this week no i didn't read any menstruation news was there pertinent menstruation news no i didn't have any sadly yeah i didn't read the news i was not on my period so all in all it was a good week for menstruation for me yeah not a non-issue a non-issue this week it's crazy i like checking in with our periods (laughs) (laughs) i was talking to somebody though who was like what are all natural homeopathic ways of stopping your period and i was like girl i can't help you that's Wait, like, is that a thing other than like starving yourself and exercising too much as a way of stopping Yeah, no, your it's period? like when, yeah, it's like if you are about to go like on a sexy weekend that you don't want to get ruined by your period and it's like day, you know, like nature's lubricant. On, Why would you yeah, want to like stop day that? 0.5 of your period? What's the hippie way to stop that? And I was like, hippie remedies don't work. Like everybody knows. Oh my God. Speaking of hippie remedies, I went into a health food store in London today and I realized that I hadn't seen kombucha in weeks. I was like, (laughs) did you get a road booch? I definitely did not because I was carrying several heavy sacks of groceries. Okay. Put down your weird British kombucha, Anne, because we're going to step into a phone booth deep into space to talk about rom-coms with our good friend, and super smart writer and A++ lady, Lindsay Weber. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, everyone. Hey, guys. <laughs> I feel like really honored and privileged that you would invite me to test out, you know, the, the podcast. Lindsay, did you read that New York Times A.O. Scott review of um, that new Drew Barrymore movie? <laughs> it was like up in my feed, up in my face. And it came out actually the day after I saw Blended in Theaters to everyone's dismay that I, how dare I go see 
this movie. Well, did you like it? Tell me. Well, so I didn't hate it. I kind of went in with really low expectations, but I'm a huge Drew Barrymore fan, and I'm a huge fan of, you know, those two. Fifty First Dates is one of my favorite rom-coms of all time. Me too. Adam Sandler, I just can't with Adam Sandler. I'm sorry. I think he he had a he had a thing, and now he definitely does not have that thing anymore. Here's a question: Does he sing in a stupid voice in Fifty First Dates? Does he yes, sing in of. a stupid voice? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Nobody can with Adam Sandler. You only can with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. That's the secret. I mean. I will say, like, I'll never forget Adam Sandler is from New Hampshire, and my parents and my brother are really into him. And I remember he had a comedy album that came out, and it had a song about having a piece of shit car, but it was sung, like, in a reggae form. And my mom thought that was the epitome of high humor. She played it every day. (laughs) She thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever heard. So after that, I always have, like, love for Adam Sandler. But I can tell you what I thought about Blended. I mean, I... I went in kind of expecting nothing, and I ended up actually feeling genuine emotion. Uh, underneath all of kind of the silliness of Adam Sandler in that movie, there's a genuinely sweet story. And what is that story? It's a man and a woman, one of which is widowed and one of which has an awful ex-husband. And they each have kids of the opposite sex of them. So Drew Barrymore has two boys. And Adam Sandler has three girls and they meet and they don't like each other. It's a very traditional, you know, the apartment style romance where they're not friends. And then they end up in a silly situation. Yes, it's in Africa. Yes, it's vaguely racist. Let's not even get into that. But beneath all of the silliness of that trip, they kind of raise each other's children. And then they fall in love through that kind of mutual admiration of each other's, you know, caretaking. It's a rom-com for adults on their second marriage, okay? <laughs> I was going to say, the target audience for rom-coms for adults, like, is totally us because It's Complicated Brains, one of my favorite movies of all time. That's mm-hmm. a great movie, yes. At least for the past, like, two or three years, at least twice a year, someone, some film critic usually writes, like, uh, the rom-com is dead. But you're, are you, is it, am I incorrect? Amina told me you were a rom-com optimist. I mean, I kind of see indie rom-coms that I love all the time that are still coming out. I just think that kind of big budget films are not rom-com right now because of the way that the industry kind of goes in cycles. You know, uh, Blended did not do well in theaters. There will there will not be a Blended 2 to, like, no one's dismay. But, no! um, <laughs> but Best Man Holiday came out this past year and did incredible, and no one thought it was going to do well. And they're making another one immediately. So you really don't know. There's just different. It's not just a simple kind of equation that you can put together. You can't just put two really attractive actors together anymore and say, make a, you know, here's the rom-com. I guess, like, the shift for that for me and that's exciting is that we're getting more and more, like, lady buddy movies, like The Heat. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, down for big budget studios, like, paying for that kind of shit. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, too, is kind of just, like, they have these women who they want to focus on and they maybe don't want to throw them in a rom-com. You know, they want them to do well and they know what does well right now, which is kind of this, you're right, this kind of vaguely scattered logical, what is the word? Poop jokes. Poop jokes. Movies (laughs) with poop jokes. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, 
that is what is doing is doing well. So when you have a comedic actress like Melissa McCarthy who's killing it, even like Sandra Bullock who did rom coms and is now kind of leading the line, they're going to put her in the stuff that's going to do better because she can do anything. Um, what I was away this weekend and Twenty Seven Dresses was on, <laughs> and every single <laughs> lady in my weekend I was, was away. Like, oh my god, we have to watch Twenty Seven Dresses. Which is kind of a terrible movie, minus this, like, great Benny and the Jets scene that happens. And it's really interesting because they were all talking about how they hate Katherine Heigl, right? And Katherine Heigl is the number one lady that's been accused of killing the rom-com, which is actually mm-hmm. bullshit. Like, all of her movies make money. I think it's great that more and more women can speak about sexism in movies. Like, Katherine Heigl is the only person that, like, called Judd Apatow for the way that he treated his female characters in Knocked Up Right. But, like, you know, you see, like, oh, the rom-com is dead, but it's just, like, the big-budget rom-com. Like, this weekend, um, The Obvious Child comes out with Jenny Slade. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It's supposed to be incredible. So, you know, it's about you know, a woman. It's, like, in a, it's based around an abortion. But it's, like, a kind of a, a, it's a rom-com. It's a small rom-com. It was helped partially funded on the Kickstarter. You had, a while ago now, but Drinking Buddies, which was a wonderful rom-com, which you should definitely all watch. About Time came out last year. That was wonderful. Did you guys see In a World? That was one of my favorite movies yeah. last year. I love In a World. Yeah, even kind of the silly ones. You know, last year there was, I really took a legging to last year. There was a movie that came out called Warm Bodies that was like a zombie rom-com, which sounds awful but it was really adorable and actually i don't think it did so poorly in the box office i might be wrong <laughs> anyways it's not like it's not like these things don't don't exist they're just not they're just not you know the big budget that you're we're used to seeing which was totally oversaturated with like the katherine high gold and 27 dresses something borrowed of the world you know Oh my god something <laughs> borrowed is so awful but i watch it every time so bad. it's so bad so bad so bad well, thank you so much for joining us, Lindsay. Oh, anytime. I hope that, like, come back anytime. Thanks to Lindsay Weber. You can find her on Twitter at Lindsay Weber. That's Lindsay with an E and Weber with one B. Or on Vulture.com every day, pretty much. So subscribe on iTunes. It's Call Your Girlfriend. Tweet at us, which is called Your GF, Y-R-G-F. Uh, go to our website, which is callyourgirlfriend.com, if you don't want to remember all those other things. Tell everybody you know about Call Your Girlfriend. I remember that last time we forgot our standard sign-off. Oh, See you on the internet. Oh, see you. <laughs> See you on the internet and bye boo. And also and also tweet at us how your period is doing. Oh my god, period update, period status update. Period. How's your uterine lining, ladies? Let us know.